This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with a glittering crown on my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. If ever I love thee, if ever I love thee, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. You guys have another one you could do? Come on. Oh, outstanding. Wow. Just great, great songs and uh, done so well. Thank God. Thank God for His presence. Could you just try to zone out the world and zone out stuff? Can, can we just... Maybe we ought to just ask God to help us to shut out those things. Could, could we just do that right now? Father... We believe that uh, your word um, 
we believe that your word is powerful and sometimes we try to dilute it by allowing our minds to wander we think about what's going to happen what's happened and what we uh, may or may not do and decisions financial decisions and deals and all that kind of stuff and father I just pray that today we would be able to be so focused into you and God I, I don't care if my message is heard because that's not important but I pray that the message from your word and the Holy Spirit that it would be heard and it would be it would be impactful and make a difference in our lives and so Lord where where I maybe don't do a very good job I pray that the Holy Spirit would just come and kind of fill in the gaps and cover for me and and uh, Lord I don't want to do this by myself and so I pray that you would come and give us uh, an amazing time in your word I pray this in Jesus name Amen Second Kings chapter 6 and 7 will provide the foundation for our thoughts today we're actually going to be kind of looking at uh, the last part of uh, chapter 6 and then charging on into chapter 7 uh, this is the fifth message in our series entitled Crazy Faith. And if you're joining us for the first time or maybe for the first time in, in, in a while, this is a study of a man named Elisha who had crazy-like faith and God used him as the point man in performing more miracles than anyone else besides Jesus Christ. And now let me just remind you where we've uh, been in, in the series. Just two or three word reviews for each week. In week one, we burned plows. Week two, we dug ditches. Week three, we gathered jars. Last week, we looked for an axe. Today, we're going to look for some food. Now, to get us headed in the right direction, let me ask you a question that... And, 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 and I, I want you to really process this and uh, really, really think about this. In your opinion, which sin do you think is the very worst sin that anyone could ever commit? the very worst sin that could be committed. And since I've been hanging around some of you for 20 years, I think I can read some of your minds, and I have a feeling that some of you are thinking, well, the worst sin is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and, and uh, you know, just grieving the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you say that because the Bible calls that the unforgivable sin. And, and so if you're thinking that, uh, you probably have a fairly strong case for that being the worst sin. Others of you might say, well, the worst sin is the sin of incest. And I would say you would have a strong case there as well to, to sexually abuse your own children or grandchildren or nieces, nephews, or other relatives is a terrible, terrible sin. And if that sin is not forgiven and turned from, I believe one of the hottest parts of hell will be reserved for those perpetrators. Others of you might say, well, the, the sin of homosexuality has to be the worst sin because this is one of the few sins that the Bible calls an abomination unto God. And, and, and even though our society now champions and celebrates this lifestyle, I, I can see where there would be a strong case for this as well, simply because homosexuality completely alters the structure of the family that God designed back in the book of Genesis. There are many other terrible sins that we could name. And, and, and hopefully we understand that sin is sin. 
you know that. God hates all sin. And what we call a small sin will send you to hell as quickly as one of those sins that we've mentioned. Yet, yet in our minds, and I think this is probably wrong, it's probably unfair, but we've kind of categorized certain sins as being worse than others. We, in our minds, we have this list. This is the worst sin or the top five worst sins. And then we go on down and then, you know, maybe at the end, uh, the, the last one would be kind of a little white lie that we would say, well, it's not a very serious sin. But when you look at all sins, whether we would classify them as big or little or major or minor or significant or insignificant, would you believe that they all come from the same root sin? Because when people die and go to hell, they don't go to hell primarily because they steal or they lie or they cheat or they commit adultery or anything else. These acts of sin actually go much deeper than that and they're rooted in one main sin called the sin of unbelief and unbelief looks at almighty god and says god i don't really believe what you say in your word for example when when people whether out of anger or and i talked about this last week or or whether as a form of exclamation use god's name in vain oh my god or sometimes it's out of anger What really is happening is they don't believe God's warning when he says in Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know, so so the sin of unbelief is, is knowing what the word says, but not really believing that God will give punishment. You know, by the same token, when when people commit sexual sins, It's obvious they don't believe God when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 that the sexually immoral, if they don't seek forgiveness and and turn from their sin, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, regardless of what our society says. You know, the same way, it's the same way for alcoholics or, or the Bible calls them drunkards. You know, that they don't believe, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.10, where it says if they don't turn from their ways, then neither will they inherit the kingdom of God. Unbelief is the father's sin. Unbelief is the mother's sin. It's the parent's sin. It's the root sin out of which all other sins grow. Now, today, as we um, continue studying the prophet Elisha, we're going to look at an incident that deals with a classic case of unbelief. And let me lay the groundwork, uh, because it's very important that we understand the setting. And, And I think every week I say, you know what, to me, this is one of the most bizarre miracles, but I have to say that again today. This miracle is a strange miracle, very fascinating, but very strange. Now, the land of Israel at this particular time was in very, very serious trouble. And we find out why in in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. And and I'll be reading uh, partially from the NLT as well as uh, the NIV. Uh, But this is from the NLT right now. It reads like this, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mobilized his entire army and besieged Samaria. Now, uh, very quickly, back in this day, the only way that a walled city could be defeated was for an army to surround that city and cut off the outside food supply. And sometimes there would be a stream or a river flowing through the river and they would divert that water supply outside of the city walls. And and this process, 
that the Bible referred to as besieging a city uh, would sometimes take months or even up to a couple of years, but slowly and surely besieging a city would bring that city to its knees. And that's what was taking place in our scripture. King Ben-Hadad of Aram had mobilized his entire army and surrounded God's people in Samaria. Now, throughout our study today, I will be taking the scenic route, stopping frequently, trying to make sure that this lesson is more than just a history lesson. It was that. This actually happened. But I will try, be trying to give a practical lesson for our lives. Now, as we talk about the city of Samaria being surrounded by the enemy, and this is one of those scenic stops here, I think it's important for us to realize that we also have a real enemy that surrounded us. And it may not be a visible army that's encircled Eldorado Springs, but, but nevertheless, uh, this enemy that is unseen is still a real enemy. And I think you know that enemy is the devil and his forces. You, you do believe in the devil, don't you? Do you? Maybe this goes without saying, but I'm afraid that because of our lack of Bible knowledge, we've pretty much come to view the devil as a fairy tale figure. You know, this fictitious being that wears a red jumpsuit, carries around a pitchfork, that's in all these kids' books. And, and, and I fear that that image has probably sometimes caused us to treat the devil lightly. But, but know that the devil is real. The devil is powerful. He is way more powerful than you are. Now, he's not more powerful than Christ in you, but in your own strength, you are dead meat in a match against Satan. And he's already laid out plans to hurt you and to sabotage your marriage. Did you know that? If you're married here today, the devil has plans to kill your marriage. That's what he wants. He also wants to destroy your children and, and, and wreck your career and, and, and destroy your joy and take away your happiness and, and bring division to our church. Satan is a very real force, and, and he's alive, and he's your enemy. Don't forget that. And don't ever get cocky and arrogant and think that you can handle the devil on your own, because you can't. But anyway, back to our lesson. The enemy was surrounding God's people. And the people had reached a point of starvation. Notice in verse 25, as we keep reading. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. And pay special attention to this. After a while, even a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver and a cup of dove's dung cost about two ounces of silver. Now, I, I'm sorry if you have a weak stomach. This is kind of gross. But when that verse talks about a donkey's head and dove's dung, it's talking about the food that they were eating. The food situation was so serious that dinner now consisted of a donkey's head and dove's dung. Now, um, you know, I in another country once when I was visiting, I did eat donkey. It wasn't a donkey's head, but I did eat donkey. But, but to my knowledge, I, I've never had dove's dung and really don't care to. Uh, 
Now, I will say this just kind of as a little, maybe some fine print here. As I studied this, I found a commentator that said that dove's dung might be similar to a coarse corn. Another one said that it possibly could have been referring to the root of a plant. But most commentators felt that it was the real stuff. They felt that dove's dung was dung from doves. Is that clear enough? And that's what they were eating. I'm telling you, this was a city that was hungry. As I said earlier, most of us didn't go to bed hungry last night. You know, I, 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 I know I didn't. Uh, 9.30 or so, I finished my run, and, and I went in, and, and, and Faith had some fresh zucchini bread oh, with some amazing icing on top of it. And I didn't go to bed hungry last night. I went to bed full. And most of you, by the looks of you, you didn't go to bed hungry either. But I hope we don't get so calloused to where we forget that there's a lot of hunger in our world today. Just think about that. Did you know that 795 million people do not have enough food to lead a healthy, active life? Did you know that 7.6 million people die every year due to hunger-related issues? Every 3.9 seconds, someone dies of hunger. A couple of years ago, a story came out, news report of Haiti. Of course, Haiti, just because of the earthquake, and and it's just been for decades, has been just on the brink of starvation. And uh, they were talking about how people were making cookies of mud. And what they would do, they'd take mud and they'd mix into the mud some salt and vegetable shortening and they were selling those and people were eating those that was all they had and tonight and again this is distasteful it's not fun to think about but on the streets of some major cities overseas people will die of starvation and the sanitation crews will come by in the morning and pick them up and haul them off to be buried like the trash that's picked up at the end of your driveway And I know that's hard for us to listen to. But ladies and gentlemen, it's reality. Don't forget that even though we are in a land of plenty, there's an ocean of need not far from here. But let me say something else. As tragic as the hunger problem is in the world, did you know that there's a worse type of hunger? It's caused by a famine. And it talks about this in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. It says, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And I think America is experiencing that famine of the Word of God. And I say this, I'm embarrassed sometimes for our church, but I think other churches are there as well. It's amazing how little of the Bible is actually taught in church. And furthermore, it's amazing how few Christians ever open the Bible at home. And and I'm not going to ask you if you're guilty, but it would be shocking. It would be shocking to know how many people that are here today or listening by whatever means. It would be shocking to know how many did not open the Word of God this past week. Now, maybe uh, some read the little devos the devotional books that the church provides but to open the word and read the word and study the word and meditate on the word i would say that many of us did not do that this past week 
And let me tell you what happens when, when Christians don't feed on the Word of God. They end up feeding on something else. You know, God created us with a natural hunger. And so if we don't feed on God's Word, we will gravitate towards something else. And generally it's something that's unclean spiritually, and we will feed on that. I mean, let, let me explain. A donkey back in the Old Testament was considered an unclean animal. A Jew, under normal circumstances, would never have considered eating an unclean animal. And, and a Jew would never consider eating dove's dung. These were very unclean and would require them to go through an extensive purification process. But that's what they were feeding on. Well, today, because there is a famine of the Word in our churches and the homes, many, many of us are feeding on a spiritual diet that's unclean, and, and people feed on movies and entertainment images and thoughts that are totally unclean. And again, why is that happening? Because when we're not properly feeding on the Word of God, God's Word, the living Word, we're not, we're, we're not feeding on that, we will go after that which is unclean. Let me, uh, let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's say that we go to Buzz's Barbecue in Nevada. Let's just say that I order a big steak and a baked potato. And that steak comes back medium well, a little bit of pink inside where it's still juicy, but done enough to where it's not mooing on my plate. It's just perfect. And then that baked potato has about a cup and a half of melted butter it's just oozing over the top and uh, running down the sides. And, and then to finish my meal, I end up with a warm brownie a la mode. And it's not just ice cream on top of it, but it has whipped cream and nuts and a cherry. And oh, I can almost taste it right now. Now, let's, let's say that I come out of buzzes and I'm stuffed. And my tummy is all pooched out and, and it's smiling and... And I come to my car and you're waiting at my car and you say, oh, Joe, I've got some food here you might want to try. And you offer me some dove's dung. What do you think my reaction would be? Um, I don't think I'd even have to pray about it. I would probably say, do you think I'm a moron? Of course I don't want it. Well, maybe you'd respond back and say, well, Joe, surely you would at least like a bite of donkey's head. You know, I would probably call you a Christian four-letter word, whatever that is. Now, why would I turn you down? Well, I would have just finished feeding on real food and my tummy would be satisfied. And what I want to get across is that when you feed on the living Word of God, this satisfies. And you will no longer have a desire to feed on that which is unclean. You know, someone said it, just a down-home preacher said, when you've been feasting on manna from heaven, you won't want to be in the alley eating tin cans with the devil's billy goats. And there's a song that we, we sing, says something on the order of this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. What happens when we focus on Jesus? It says the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Feeding on the Word of God, and I can't get that across enough. When we feed on the Word of God, and I'm not talking about just trying to get through the Bible in a year, but I'm talking about feeding on the Word, chewing on the Word, meditating on the Word. You know what? It, it will take away the desire for those things that are unclean. And, and, and I can't emphasize enough 
the need to meditate. You know, I was, after my run last night, I was just, I do kind of a cool down walk and, 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 and I can't really pray too much while I'm running. I'm breathing too hard. But uh, in my cool down walk, I, I began to meditate just on, on the scripture today that, that I was going to be presenting today. And it was like an insight came to my mind that I hadn't thought of before. And, and, and that's, what, that, that's what it is when we feed on the living word. It, it satisfies. It gives us what we need. And then there's a less likelihood that we'll be going to that which is unclean to feed on that. Why? Because we will be satisfied. Let's look what else this famine led them to. Keep on going. Verse 28. But then the king asked, what's the matter? She replied, this woman proposed that we eat my son one day and her son the next. This is tough to read. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said, kill your son so we can eat him. But she had hidden him. You see, God's people had resorted to cannibalism. Two moms had come up with a plan. One day one mom would cook her kid for a meal. The next day the other mom would give her child up for the meal. Now, I, I know we can't even imagine this. But do you realize there are a lot of people that in a sense are already doing that? No, they don't actually devour human flesh, but, but they, de- they devour each other in another way. Paul said in Galatians 5, and this is a warning verse. It says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's what I call Christian cannibalism. And, and, and hear me out. If you run across someone who is highly critical of everything and everybody, mark it down. They're probably not feeding on the Word of God. And, and so they're not satisfied in life. And, and they've resorted to biting and devouring people's reputation and character. Well, well let's, let's keep on moving here. Verse 30. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing sackcloth underneath next to his skin. May God kill me if I don't execute Elisha, son of Shaphat, this very day, the king vowed. Now, that is so ironic to me. The king was so discouraged and about, about this terrible situation, he decided to take his frustration out on Elisha, who incidentally was the only man that could have helped the situation. But, but instead of going to him to get a word from the Lord, the king made plans to kill him. You know, there's something about a wounded animal that makes him want to bite the hand that feeds him. And you look at our country today, you would think that the fires, the floods, the extreme weather patterns, the terrorism would cause hurting people to run to the church and ask, is there a message from the Lord? Is there a word from the Lord? But instead, the church is looked at as out of date. The world views us as as Bible-thumping radicals that are a detriment to progress. And any time we try to speak the truth or, or talk about marriage from a biblical perspective or any time we preach on the sanctity of life, we get labeled out of touch. Bigots. Well, let's, let's keep on going. We're going to jump into 2 Kings chapter 7 now. And in this next scripture, you're going to notice a change from the doom and gloom of the hopelessness of the situation. And Elisha says something that provides hope. But the reaction to him is interesting. The people think he has lost his mind. Verse 1, Elisha replied, Hear this message from the Lord. 
Did you catch that? Message from the Lord. Have you ever thought, man, it'd be so cool to get a message from the Lord? It'd be so cool to get up in the morning and have an email or a text, a personal text from the Lord, not even a group text, but a personal text. Guess what? You do have a message from the Lord. This book is a message from the Lord. It's a personal message from the Lord. And the message is authoritative. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just an option. It's not just an opinion. It's not just a history lesson. It's not just a good book with a good moral code. Rather, it is an authoritative message from the Lord. And when it comes to this authoritative message, we really don't have a right to an opinion. Amen? I know there are parts of the Bible that, that are not 100% clear and can lead to some discussion, but honestly, those parts don't bother me. It's the parts that are 100% clear that bother me. And there should be no debate when the Word clearly states something. On our recent trip to the mountains a week and a half ago, someone was talking about this, and they said, you know, when it comes to the Word, we need to quit saying, well, this is what I think, or this is my opinion. When it comes to, thus saith the Lord... We don't have a right to an opinion. If God's word says it, that settles it. And that's good enough for me. Amen. So Elisha said, I have a message from the Lord. Well, what was that message? Well, let's read. Uh, continue on here. This message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of fine flour will cost only half an ounce of silver. And ten quarts of barley grain will cost only half an ounce of silver. So the message from Elisha was that tomorrow at this time, food is going to be at a bargain price. And think about that. That seemed like insanity. That was ridiculous. The city was under siege. There was no food. The unclean food of a donkey's head and dove's dung was going for premium price. Well, how did this message go over? Verse 2, the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. Dangerous statement. You know, what, what this guy was saying, you know, when Elisha said there's going to be food in abundance, it's going to be sold at cut rate prices, everybody can afford it. One of the king's advisors, God's people, <clears throat> spoke up and said, even if God opened the windows of heaven, this could never happen. And in Cedar County terminology, he was saying, what you are saying is a bunch of baloney. Not even God could make that happen. And really, you have a study of two men here. One is a prophet who is genuinely serving the Lord. The other is a politician that's pretending, pretending he's serving the Lord. But in reality, he didn't believe in God's power. It reminds me of this scary verse in 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Or, or listen to it in the New Living Translation. They will act as if they're religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And that, that's, that's America today. We got a lot of religious people. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus with all my heart, but they sure don't live it, and they deny his power. Um. Look what Elisha said to him. You will see it happen, buddy, but you won't be able to eat any of it. He said, you will see this with your own eyes, but because of your unbelief, 
And here you will see the seriousness of the sin of unbelief. Because of your unbelief, you won't get to eat any of the food. And so what happened? Well, I'm going to read an extended passage of Scripture. So hang on and try to focus and listen to this. Verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, and we will starve if we go back into the city. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. And if they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So that evening they went out to the camp of the Arameans. Nobody was there. For the Lord had caused the whole army of Aram to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried out. So what they do, they panicked and fled into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else, and they fled for their lives. So remember the setting. The Arameans had the city surrounded. They were enjoying watching God's people starve. But all of a sudden, they began to hear things. It was like the sound of many chariots and many horses. What do you think they heard? What do you think they heard? I'll tell you what they heard. They heard the host of heaven. You know, we're in chapter 7 here, but... Could we go back to chapter 6, hit rewind, and, and, and I want to look at verse 14 that ties into this. You know, these, these stories tie, in, tie together, but verse 14, and uh, this kind of sets up this whole scenario. Verse 14, 2 Kings chapter 6. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. So that's what's been going on. When the servant of the man got up early, the next morning went outside, there were troops, horses, chariots everywhere. Oh, my Lord, what will, we, what will we do now? He cried out to Elisha. Have you ever said that? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Verse 16, don't be afraid, Elisha told him. For there are more on our side than theirs. There's more with us than be with them. <laughs> and then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord. My translations that I'm making up here says, open this poor boy's eyes. <laughs> Let him see. Then the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. But they hadn't made a noise yet. They were there, just waiting. And then all of a sudden, they heard the noise, and the, the host of heaven decided to move. And you know, which leads me to say that, we're, you know, in this church, I believe the angels of the Lord are encamped around them that fear Him. It's not just us here. I believe we have the armies of the Lord surrounding us at 1607 South Park. And, oh, Lord, would you just maybe give us a glimpse of that? Open our eyes. We can't see them right now. And so sometimes we sense it's just us. And, you know, we're, we're, we're weak and not strong enough. And, Sometimes I pray that God would just give us a glimpse of the host of heaven that's surrounding us. Let me give you a little verse that hopefully will get you fired up. In Psalm 68, 17, it says, The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. <laughs> Isn't that cool? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. 
The, the Lord's army is not this little cadre of a few chariots and a few horses and a few soldiers and, and outdated equipment. No, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. This is a powerful, this is an invincible army. There is more with us than be with them. We're on the winning side. Wow. But anyway, the Arameans heard what they thought was an army of chariots and horses. And it was. <laughs> And it caused them to panic and they began to run for dear life. And in their hurry to escape, would you believe they left all of their food? (laughs) And I love this. The devil that day provided food for God's people. (laughs) And I want you to notice what happened to this man who said, why God couldn't even make that happen. Verse 16. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true. (laughs) That five quarts of fine flour were sold that day for half an ounce of silver and ten quarts of barley grain were sold for half an ounce of silver just as the Lord had promised. And and compare the prices. Remember, we read that a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver and a cup of dove's dung cost two ounces of silver. You you see, the groceries were cheap. (laughs) The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate. There's this guy that said, ah, God couldn't even do that. So, you know, the, the, the king knew there was going to be a rush. And so he said, would you please do some crowd control right here? What happened? He said, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. So... The event that brought a blessing to God's people was the same event that brought judgment to that unbelieving officer and he was trampled to death. Did you know that uh, one of these days Jesus is going to come back? You believe in the rapture? The rapture of the saints? You know, the second coming has two phases. You've got the rapture of the saints where it'll be in the blink of an eye, but then the second stage is where every eye shall see him. But uh, one of these days, Jesus is coming back, and, and that event is going to be a blessing to so many of us who have our sins washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're living lives of holiness, not on our own strength, but with God's help. But do you realize that that will also be the event that will bring judgment to others? Did did you also know that the preaching of the gospel is a blessing to those of us who are saved? And you're saying amen. And I think some of you today, you're genuinely feeling it because you're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And, And so it's a blessing to those of us who are saved. But for those who don't get saved, it will be God's method of judging them. Because the word of God is a sharp two edged sword and it cuts both ways. So this morning. I guess we need to stop because my time is out. <laughs> but uh, before we, we go home, could I just ask a, some wrap-up questions to you? And, and I pray that through God's Spirit that He will really penetrate your hearts. Because I, I know, I know what I can do. I, I know I can, uh, I can weasel my way. I can justify my actions. I'm good at that. You are too. But I pray that God would just penetrate. That we would take off that front, that facade. 
But here, here are some questions I want to just leave with you. Do you really believe what God says in His Word? Do you believe the whole Bible? Every word, every thought, the warnings. And, and I honestly think that most of us would say, oh yes, I, I believe God's Word. It's God's inspired Word. So if you believe the Bible, if we believe the Bible, why don't we live like it? You know, that's where the sin of unbelief comes in. And, and, and we say, oh yes, as a general statement, I believe it. But then when we look at our attitudes and our actions, our, our, our legalism or, you know, our immorality or, you know, pornography or addictions and Again, it's not about doing, it's about being. But if we believe God's Word, say we believe God's Word, why do we allow those things to stay in our life? That's right there, the sin of unbelief. Because this officer, for the king, I'm sure he would have said, Oh, I believe in God. I believe in God, Jehovah. But then when it came down to that specific incident he said no and that's what we do today so many times we, we we take little things and we ignore them in the word and i've been praying this week and praying in my own life that there would be nothing there disobedience that where yes i would make that general statement that i believe god's word but then i don't live like it and, and, and so, if, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning, there's really only one response. It's repent. Turn. Or, or else the event that's going to be such a blessing to many of us will be the event that judges you. So I know this, this lesson has probably been really tough to listen to. It's been tough to preach, but do you believe God's Word and are you living like it? So this morning as we pray, if, if there's sin in your life and in your heart, unbelief, you know the Bible says something, but you're doing the opposite, could you just repent? Just repent and turn. Father, I, I, I know this. I know comfort zones have been violated. Lord, if I've sounded angry, maybe you can just help people to understand it came from just, I, I guess, a passion for this. Lord, I pray that those that maybe are under conviction right now, that they would not justify it. Lord, forbid that we would justify our sin. But Lord, that we would just very humbly come and say, Lord, forgive us. We're wrong. We've messed up. Lord, would you give the strength for people to make adjustments this morning? God, don't let us be guilty of this root sin of unbelief that that, Lord, we would be able to say, we, we believe your word. It's inspired and 
I'm in disobedience and Lord that we would repent so God just in these closing moments do a work in our heart and in our lives Lord deal with us I pray gently where we need gentleness sternly where we need firmness but deal with us I pray you know you're welcome to come to the altar this morning I I really don't feel led to have you come and I'd love for you to come if you want but I want to just give you a few seconds back there just let you pray why don't you just go ahead and talk to God right now just you I'm going to give you just a few seconds here to pray and repent and turn you've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages call the church at 417-876-2200 thank you for listening